mind. Every week at 9.30, we have two uh, multi-generational classes going on. Some people are suffering from loss. Some people are praising uh, great celebrations in their life. But whatever it is, we know that God is good. Amen. And so as Tyler leads us in worship, remember that. Remember that uh, for this hour, we're focusing on God's goodness. We have plenty of negative things in our life to think about, but for this hour, I pray that we can just block those out. We can forget about the, the lunch and the crock pot. We can forget about how in the world we're going to fit everybody in the car and go to Mazio's after this or whatever it may be. Let's just focus on the here and the now and how good God is. Uh, if you are new here, uh, please take a moment to fill out that Connect card right in front of you in the chair. Uh, if you're a longtime member and you're ready to take that next step, whatever it may be for you, maybe you've been here for a long time and you're not a member, you want to be official, maybe uh, you're, uh, you're a solid Christian but you've never been baptized and you want to go through that process of publicly professing faith in Him, uh, fill out that Connect card. If you want to serve, if you want to join uh, some other way or serve in some other way, just write in the Connect card. If you just need to have lunch with me or Jordan and say, hey, I, I just got to get some stuff right in my life. I need someone to talk to. Uh, we're here for you for that as well. Uh, however, you need to respond in your next step. Uh, do that in the back of the Connect card and just drop that in the white tiny box on your way out today. Uh, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, uh, we'll worship through song. Lord, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Lord, I pray in this hour of worship that we lift our voices loudly to you. Lord, I know there's a hundred things in our lives going on. But I pray in this hour we can just focus on the great things that you've given us. Lord, some of us have lost loved ones recently. Some of us have celebrated new life joining our families. Some of us uh, couldn't find hope if it hit us in the face. Lord, some of us are just surrounded in, in, your, in, in your hope. But wherever we may be, in our journey of faith, Lord, I pray in this hour you just focus on your goodness, and we praise your name loudly and boldly and joyfully. Lord, I pray that as Joey delivers a sermon today, that your word would be proclaimed, that he would hide behind the cross, and that the people's hearts and ears in this room would respond accordingly to how your spirit is moving. Lord, I pray that as we worship through song, through the message, and through giving, that we do it joyfully to honor you, to praise you. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this facility at the end of the service, that we be the church and the community, that we would love our neighbors well. Not so that we may boast, not so that we may be popular, but Lord, that your name would be made known. It's in your great and almighty name I pray. Amen. If you would, please stand as we worship.
beginning and the end. The God had three in one. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the
loves us, how he loves us. Will you pray with me? Father, you love us. Your love for us is unimaginable, unfathomable. Father, may we just sit here in the moment to dwell here and consider your love, your deep, deep love for us. Father, we are so thankful for how you've demonstrated your love for us in sending Jesus. Father, we ask that today we would celebrate that love, that we would enjoy that love, that we would cherish that love. We're here because of you, because you loved us first. And so, Father, we just pause to give you glory, to celebrate your greatness. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak clearly, that we would hear from you, that we would see your love on display. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. You probably weren't expecting me to be up here this morning. In all honesty, I wasn't expecting to be here this morning. Um, last night, uh, we had the, the joy of coming and celebrating with a young couple that's about to uh, intermarriage, and it was a great time. And as we were leaving, um, Jordan was there, and he, uh, he shared, hey, I'm not feeling real well, but I just want to let you know, I think I'm going to be okay, but I, I'm, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. He walked out the door, he went home, and uh, we went home. About 9 o'clock last night, my phone rang, and so here I am. So, Jordan is not feeling the best this morning. He's a little under the weather, but uh, it is a privilege to be able to spend some time with you this morning to share with you from God's Word. And so, since I didn't know I was going to be here before 9 o'clock last night, we're going to talk about favorites. You got a favorite, favorite verse of Scripture? You know, maybe it's John 3.16 or Jeremiah 29.11. Who's got a favorite? You got a favorite? Show of hands, who's got a favorite verse of Scripture? Okay. Anybody got a favorite book? Favorite book of the 66? Maybe James? Romans? I'm kind of partial to Genesis. In case you haven't caught on already, these are the favorites, and I'm having a little bit of trouble choosing one. I'm, I'm going to the ones I like. I'm a guy that has a lot of favorites. If you've heard me speak before, you've heard me teach, I use the phrase, this is one of my favorites, quite a bit. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at my favorite. No qualifications, no buts, no ands, no, no maneuvering around it to say, well, it's one of my favorites. No, this is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. So if you would, grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 9. If you need a Bible, there should be a blue one underneath the chair there in front of you. 
You grab those blue Bibles, uh, we'll be on page number 895 in those blue Bibles. Page 895 there. Um, and you know, it's kind of fun. I enjoy when I get to come up here and fill in for Jordan because I get to say the, something that you hear him say often. If you need a Bible, take one of those Bibles. Take one of those Bibles. We, and we really truly mean that because we are convinced here at Trinity that this book, this, the pages that form our Bible, there are no more precious words anywhere in the world. This is a letter from the God of the universe written to you so that you can know just how much he loves us as we just sung. So if you need a Bible, grab that blue Bible, take it home with you. It's yours. It's our gift to you from Trinity because we want you to see firsthand just how much Jesus loves you. But we're going to jump in and we are going to look at John chapter 9. Now, this, this passage, it is so good. It's so good, honestly, I could just stand here, read the chapter to you, and call it a day. This, this chapter of Scripture will preach itself. It is so good. Now, I know you've probably got your own favorites, and you're probably looking at me like, okay, what are you talking about? But trust me, we're going we're to look at John chapter 9, and you're going to see that this passage of Scripture is incredible. And if you don't believe me now, I hope by the time we finish, you'll see just how incredible this passage is. So let's take a look. Let's set the context, okay? Where are we in Scripture? I mean, there's a lot of things that go on. Scripture covers thousands of years. What's going on at this point? We are now in the first century. We are during the earthly ministry of Jesus. In fact, if we get right into that context, Jesus in chapter 8 had made some people angry. Take a look there at the very end of chapter 8. Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. At who? At Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I mean, that verse by itself is just cool, right? We haven't even gotten to chapter 9. Jesus had made people mad. They picked up stones to start throwing large rocks at Jesus with the intention to kill him. And what does it say? Jesus hid himself. How does that work? You ever stop to consider that? Jesus was fully God. He is capable of doing things that we can barely begin to wrap our minds around. But the fact that he hid himself, he made it so that those who sought his life in that moment could not see him, is an incredible point of context for what we're about to study in chapter 9. If you've got uh, the New King James Version, it actually says that he hid himself and went out from the temple and so passed by. Then we turn to chapter 9, verse 1, and it says, as he passed by. John is trying to make a point. These two stories go together. Jesus has just narrowly escaped an assassination attempt on his life, and then we find this story begin to unfold. So John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Can you fathom that? Can you picture what that 
life would be like. Have you ever stopped to consider what it would be like to be blind? I'm looking around the room and I don't know that anybody here actually has firsthand experience with that. To have no concept of the color green. To have never seen leaves on a tree. You know, I, I remember Hannah, she, she tells the story of when she first got glasses. And having this remarkable experience that a tree is not just one green ball on top of a brown stick. There are actually leaves on the tree. But to not even know what those things are. To have no concept of the trunk of a tree, of leaves on a tree. To have never experienced light. As children, we probably all at one point or another had a bout with fear of the dark, right? Darkness is not not something we enjoy. But this man that we're, we're meeting here, he's, he has no concept of anything except darkness. From the very first day of his existence, everything was darkness. Everything. And Jesus is passing by, having left this assassination attempt, and he comes upon this man who was born blind. And then it says, his disciples asked him, hey, teacher, rabbi, who sinned? What? Who sinned that this man or his, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What's going on in this passage? What, what, what's going on? His disciples are asking a question, and they're saying, why is this man blind? And they're making an assumption. He is blind for one of two reasons. Either he was cursed by God from the womb with blindness for some egregious sin he would commit later in his own life, or maybe it was the other. Maybe maybe the other option is that he was being, he was punishment for his parents. His parents had sinned in some way, and so God cursed them by giving them a blind son. Ouch. Can you imagine what it's like to be the blind man sitting on the side of the road as this crowd walks by and hearing this conversation? Who sinned? It's what everybody thinks. It's what everybody thinks. Who sinned? See, that was actually a pretty common belief in the day. That physical ailment, whether it was blindness, deafness, muteness, that's a weird word, muteness. Don't think I've ever said that before. I don't even know if it's a real word, but that's okay. These physical ailments, those were things that God brought into someone's life as direct punishment for sin. That's what the people believed in that day. Jesus' own 12 disciples that were traveling with him, they shared this belief. That's how pervasive it was. And yet, 
What does Jesus say? Verse 3, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You're not excited. You should be excited by that verse. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You should be saying, God, sign me up. You should be saying, I want to be that guy. I want to endure hardship so that God might display his incredible power. This man, he's sitting on the side of the road, right? I mean, just picture him. He's sitting here. He's in the dark. He can't see a thing. He has no idea what's going on, but he can hear. He can hear every word that's being spoken. And what he hears first is an accusation that he's a sinner. He's such a terrible sinner. Or mom or dad, they're such a terrible sinner that he's been cursed for life. But then out of the crowd comes a voice that says, no, no, that's not what's going on here. This man was born this way for a very specific reason. He was born for the glory of God. This might just be the first time this man has ever heard anyone say in his entire life that his life has meaning, that his life has purpose. Can you imagine the emotional swing? The change inside of him. Jesus goes on and he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is making a point. He's the light. This man, he's never seen light. Doesn't even know what it is. But Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And having said these things, Jesus did something rather interesting. (laughs) Jesus spit on the ground. He got down, and with his spit in the dust, he made mud. And then he took that mud... And he took that mud and he smeared it all over the blind man's face. Ew, gross. No, no, no. Now, again, put yourself in the shoes of the blind man. Stop and consider his experience. There's another sinner sitting on the side of the road. No, no, no. He, he, he has purpose, he has meaning. And now his face is covered with mud. They were just setting me up. They saw the smile on my face and then they covered me in mud to make a fool of me. I don't even know what I look like. I've never seen somebody with mud on their face, but I'm sure it's not good. His face is covered with mud. He's been humiliated. And Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam is a word that means sent. I'm sending you to the pool of sent. 
so you can wash your face. I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? You're covered in mud, you should probably go wash it off. But here's where the story gets incredible, at least the first time. So he went and he washed, it says at the end of verse 7, and he came back seeing. Again, you're not excited enough. Stop and consider this. This man's covered in mud. He walks to this pool, feeling his way as he goes. He can't see where he's going. He has to navigate the streets carefully, groping in the darkness. He finds himself at this pool. And when he gets to the pool, he bends down, he grabs some water between his hands, and he washes his face. And as the mud starts to wash away from his eyes, for the very first time in his life, he experiences light. You've had this experience. You've been laying in bed in the darkness, and then an ornery spouse, sibling, child, they come in and you're still just starting to wake up, and what do they do? They find the light switch. And you go from darkness to light in an instant. And what's your first reaction? Ah! Perhaps in this moment, he's not feeling like a miracle has occurred, but instead he's feeling that something terrible has happened. His face is being attacked with, a, with the fierceness of the light. The mud was just the beginning. Now, now I'm in excruciating pain. But yet, the reality is something has happened. His life has been transformed. Something brand new. Sight. In the life of a man who had never experienced sight before. See, we could stop right there. John could have ended the story right there. Jesus does miracles. He does incredible things. He restores sight to the blind. And that could have been the end of the story. But it's not. That's why this is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. See, it says in verse number 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, they were saying, hey, isn't that the guy? Didn't He used to sit right here, right here, and he would beg. That's him, isn't it? And some of the people were like, no, 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 that, that can't be him. I mean, he can clearly see now. We, we, we know people who are born blind, they don't, they don't suddenly get the ability to see. That can't be him. It just looks like him. That's what's going on here. He's, he's seeing this, and some said, yeah, it's him. Some said, no, 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 it's just like him. But he kept saying, no, I am the man. That was my spot. I sat there every day, and I begged. Why would he be begging? As a blind man, he was considered an invalid. He was unworthy of life. He was an outcast. He was broken. He was considered to be such an egregious sinner that God cursed him before the sin ever occurred. 
He was not welcome in the synagogue. He didn't have anything going for him. But he still defended the fact that, yes, I was that beggar. See, he could have had a fresh start right there. No, that wasn't me. I'm new in town. That's what he could have said. Could have had a fresh start without any of the baggage of his history. But he doesn't. He owns his past. He says, yes, that was me. And they said to him, verse 12, or verse 11, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So then, verse 13, it gets interesting. They brought to, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. They pack this guy up and they lead him before the ruling council of the Jews. And verse 14 tells us why. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. What does this mean? This means Jesus was working on the day when God commands us to stop all work. Because taking a little bit of spit and some dust and making mud is clearly hard labor, right? The Pharisees are just that. They are Pharisees. They, they live by the rules. And they say, no, this, this is work, and that's, that's not of God. God says no work on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if you recall, verse 1, we saw that Jesus was passing by, having recently escaped a stoning. I think it's a lot more work to pick up a large stone to throw at someone than it is to reach down and make a little bit of mud. See, there's some hypocrisy being displayed here by John. He's pointing out that the Pharisees... They were working and now they're going to condemn Jesus for working because they didn't succeed in condemning him before. They're just out for blood. They want to get Jesus no matter what it takes. So the Pharisees, it says in verse 15, they asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. It's an interesting story. We've heard it three times now. Mud in the face, washed, sight. Mud in the face, washed, sight. Mud in the face, washed, sight. The same story over and over again. It's pretty simple. There's nothing all that fantastic about the story. Except for that last part that by doing those first two things, he got sight. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. But it's a pretty simple story. Some of the Pharisees, they said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now we need to pause here for a moment and just kind of give a a history lesson. 
Scripture, it spans thousands of years, as we said at the beginning. And if we go back thousands of years, we find that this thing called the Sabbath is an extremely important marker on the people of God. The Sabbath is officially established as a special day for God's people as they depart from Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God miraculously leads them out. He redeems them. He leads them out of slavery. And as they're standing in the desert worshiping God, God gives them ten commandments. Ten rules to live by. We know many of them. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, right? And that's how they go. Boom, boom, boom. One after the other. But there are more words dedicated to this thing called Sabbath, the fourth of those Ten Commandments, than any other. We're told that this would be a marker whereby any other people group would be able to see there's something different about these people. It was unique, perhaps even more important than circumcision. And circumcision was a big deal in Jewish society. And so you see this unfolding. How can this man be of God? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath, it goes all the way back to the opening pages of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we're told. Six days of working, and on the seventh day, he ceased from his work. Jesus He doesn't keep the Sabbath. He can't possibly be from God. But others, they said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, John has been pointing out that God is doing a work even among the Pharisees. Some of them, they're they're questioning things. Perhaps this might have been Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Men from among the Pharisees who trusted in Jesus. We don't know for sure, but God was doing a work in their midst. So again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And this unnamed man, he says, he is a prophet. What's a prophet? A prophet is simply one who declares the truth. One who declares the truth. What truth had Jesus declared in this man's life? He said it wasn't sin that cursed you. He declared the truth that God created you and God loves you and he cares about you no matter where you've been. No matter what you've been through, God still loves you. You know, Tyler picked songs out this morning to go with Jordan's sermon, not mine. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. That's the truth that Jesus was declaring in this man's life. And he said, he's a prophet because I know this to be true. I've experienced it firsthand. Again, we could stop right there. 
But John's not done telling the story. Verse 18, the Jews didn't believe. They weren't willing to let go. They couldn't stop just yet. They didn't believe that he was blind and had received his sight until they called his parents in. And he asked them, hey, is this your son? Is this your boy? You say he was born blind, yeah? Well, how is it that he can see now? It's an interesting set of questions. Parents in the room, can you identify your children? You know your children, right? Every once in a while you might mix up their names, but you know who your kids are, right? These parents, they're looking and, yes, that's, that's our son. You say he was born blind? I don't know if we believe you about that. He was born blind? Mom and dad, they're probably having some, some memories, maybe some painful ones, maybe some comical ones, thinking about how their child crawled right into the wall because he didn't know there was a wall there, couldn't see it. Went right off the edge because he didn't see the edge coming. Tripped and fell multiple times, patching up scrapes and bruises. You sure this is your son? Are you sure he was born blind? Mom and dad say, yeah, that's, that's our son. And yes, yes, he was born blind. We know that this is our son in verse 20 and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough. He'll speak for himself. John's helpful here. He points out in verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. There's so much to unpack in those few verses right there. Stop and consider. The Jews had gone on record and said, if anybody acknowledges Jesus to be the Messiah, wait, that's a possibility? I thought Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Some people today will make that argument. Jesus never claimed to be divine. Jesus never said that he was the promised Messiah. Well, even the Pharisees believed it enough to say, if anyone thinks that he's the Christ, he's immediately going to be excommunicated. That's not a word we use in our churches very often today. Excommunicated. Ouch. You know, the reality is, Here in rural Kansas, 2021, to be excommunicated, what does that even really mean? But in this time, to be living in a Roman-occupied Jerusalem, pressure from all sides to be excommunicated, to be kicked out of the synagogue, is to be thrown to the wolves to have all protection removed. 
to be in a situation where there was no protection. Because they were not just being removed from the religious community, they were being removed from their heritage, from their people. They were being told, you will have no more interaction with your family or your friends. You're on your own. You are dead to us. There was a great amount of fear in the people. To lose all of that, to risk that much, to even hint that Jesus might be the promised Messiah, it's a tall, it's a tall thing to ask. And so the parents said, we're not willing to risk it. Ask him. Let him answer for himself. We're out. Is that sinking in? The parents were literally throwing their son to the wolves. They weren't willing to walk with him where they knew things were going. In many ways, their son had already been an outcast. He wasn't permitted in the synagogue anyways. He didn't get to go worship because he was broken. He's used to it. He'll be fine. Parents, you love your kids. But our God, he loves us so much more. So for the second time, the Pharisees, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. There's some irony. We are so confident, we know that the only way to glorify God is to declare the one man who lived a perfect, sinless life to be a sinner. The Pharisees, they were missing the boat. They didn't get it. They were missing it. But the man, he answered, whether he is a sinner I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It didn't matter the risk. For the first time in his life, for just a few moments, he's been a a welcome member of society. But it didn't matter that he was risking losing all of that again, because now he could see. Everything had changed. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he said, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this. Do you also want to become one of his disciples? I mean, that's funny. That's pretty funny. Because this man who has never been permitted in the synagogue, he's never got to sit under the teaching of the Torah. Now he's turned evangelist. Now he's like, hey, come on, guys. You, I'll tell you again, if, you, you, you want to follow this guy? I don't, know, I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know he opened my eyes. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to learn from him. Do you want to come along too? Well, how do you think that went over with the Pharisees? They'd already threatened that if anybody acknowledged Jesus to be anything of importance, you're dead to us. Farewell. 
no more, go away. It says in verse 28, they reviled him. In other words, this made their blood boil. They weren't happy. They were upset. How could this man possibly make that accusation that we, the learned leaders of the spiritual people of Israel, the the people of God, how could he possibly make the accusation that we would want to follow Jesus? They reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, if I'd spent my life as a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road, this would probably probably be the point where I would back down. But not this man. No, he says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Pay attention right here. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. For the record, that statement's still true. All of it. Never since the creation of the world has it been heard of except in this story, right here, out of the text of God's Word, never before has it been heard that someone born completely blind, receives his sight. It doesn't happen, folks. There are countless stories of people who have later have the onset of blindness later in life due to disease, cataracts, who knows what it might be. There are stories where someone can lose their sight and then have it restored. But this is the only time in all of history that this happens exits the womb in darkness, lives a life in darkness, and then receives his sight. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing because this is impossible. It doesn't happen. There's no way that these things could have happened if it was not from God. You see, this was a life-altering transformation for this man. Everything changed. Everything changed when he received his sight. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. They cast him out. See, the Pharisees They go back to the same thought that opened this story. You were born blind because you were born in utter sin. We, on the other hand, we're the leaders of the people. We're the enlightened ones. We're the ones who show the people how to follow God. Psalms tells us, thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
and it's our job as the Pharisees to, sh- to point you in that direction. You're going to teach us? We don't think so. You're dead to us. You're done. You're gone. This is one day, folks. What an emotional roller coaster for this man. Lost, alone, begging just to survive. Hearing yet again, it's all my fault. I brought this on myself. I don't even know what I've done wrong, but eventually I'm going to do something wrong. It's all my fault. Somebody says, oh, no, no, no. No, this is because God wants to demonstrate his glory. Really? Could it be? Could it be I've been wrong my entire life and then suddenly covered in mud? But then seeing for the first time. Being rejected by neighbors, friends, family, the religious community. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. What a story. What an incredible story. Did you notice the other thing that was happening in this man's life? We've talked about the emotions, the up and down, the swinging from good to bad to uncomfortable to joyous to, I mean, the emotions have been everywhere. But did you see what else was happening? Look back over this passage with me. Okay, when the passage opens, he's sitting on the side of the road as a beggar. And he hears this anonymous crowd walking by. Okay? Keep that in mind. But then when we find ourselves in verse 11, after he has received his sight, they ask him, what happened? What happened? And his answer is that a man called Jesus made mud. I don't know who this guy is. It's just some guy called Jesus. A man called Jesus. He made mud. He put it on my eyes, told me to go wash, and now I see. But as the story progresses, we go from, this is just a man called Jesus. I don't know, I don't know much about him, to verse 17. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. He is someone I can trust with the truth. What he says comes to pass. It's true. It's real. He's just a man called Jesus, but he speaks truth. By the time you get to verse 24, still doesn't know much. I don't know if he's a sinner. I really don't know. 
But one thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. See, he went from complete ignorance, seen on the side of the road, to now we see the beginnings of faith. It's incomplete. It's not all there, but he believes in this man. To verse 27, one of my favorite parts of the whole chapter. Again, it's my, the whole chapter is my favorite, so it's one of my favorites, but it's all my favorite. Verse 27, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? There's something implied in that passage, in that, in that sentence. Do you also want to become his disciples? And it keys on that word also. Because he has now passed to the point where he says, I'm his disciple. He's just a man called Jesus. He's a prophet. He opened my eyes. I believe that. You know what? I'm his disciple. What does the word disciple mean? To be a disciple is to submit yourself entirely under the direction of your rabbi. A disciple ceases to have a will of his own and simply does the will of his master. They are under the discipline of their master. This man was declaring in this moment, whatever I wanted for life, whatever I had dreamt about, if only I could see, it didn't matter what those things were, I'm done with that. I am submitting myself entirely to life under the leadership of this man called Jesus. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. By the time we get to verse 33, this man has come full circle. He has come all the way to complete and undeniable faith in the greatness of God. He acknowledges this not just to be a good teacher, not just to be a wise man, not just to be someone who can do some great signs or some miracles. He recognizes that this man is directly from God. And by the time you get to verse 37, verse 36 rather, Jesus is asking, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man, what's that about? The Son of Man is a prophetic name given to the Messiah by Jeremiah. Hundreds of years earlier, Jeremiah prophesied that there would be a man, a Son of Man, who was also the Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is He? Tell me who He is so that I can believe. I know you speak truth. I know you have the truth. Tell me who He is so that I can believe in Him. I want to believe in Him. And Jesus' answer to that question is the most profound thing in all of Scripture. 
He says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus declares in that moment that I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. I am the Son of Man, the Son of God. And I'm speaking to you right now. But not only that, he says, you have seen him. Stop and consider the series of events. He was sitting on the side of the road. Jesus made mud, smeared it on his face, and said, go wash. Did Jesus go with him? No. He found his friends, his neighbors. He talked to them. He went to go see the Pharisees. Mom and dad came in, had this whole conversation. He gets thrown out of the synagogue. But then we're told, Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, Jesus sought him out. And he tells tells this man, you have seen him. Past tense. You've already seen him. Have you ever been one who says, if only I could have seen the things that the disciples saw. If I'd, if I'd watched, if, if, if just I could have seen when Jesus fed the 4,000. To have seen Jesus walking on the water or turning the water into wine. It would be so much easier to believe in Jesus if I could have seen those things. This man, he walked with Jesus. In the flesh, face to face, they walk side by side. They had a conversation together, and yet Jesus tells him, you saw him. You saw me in the past tense. He came to Jesus the same way you and I must come to Jesus. Sight unseen, on faith. I love this chapter of Scripture because it shows us that God has always been in the business of proving himself to those who will believe. Faith. This man had faith. He believed. This morning, I don't know where you're at on your journey. I don't know what God is doing in your life. I don't know if perhaps you're sitting on the side of the road and you're hearing this conversation, you're going, what is this all about? I don't know if you're at a point where, okay, There's some truth in the Scriptures. I'll acknowledge that there's truth there. Maybe you're to a point where I've had some really good experiences with the church, with this whole Jesus thing, and so, you know, I'll hang around. Maybe you're to the point where you're you're all in and you're the evangelist. You, You say, I'm submitting my life to Jesus and I want others to do the same. I don't know where you're at on this journey, but wherever you are on this journey... Be on the journey. Walk with Jesus. Walk closer to him. Because the reality is, though you were blind, once you encounter Jesus, you can say with absolute confidence, now I see. Faith has been made sight. The chapter wasn't quite finished where we stopped. Tyler, as you get ready, you're good. You're good. There's one last point that Jesus has to make. 
says in verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him, they heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, and your guilt remains. John ends this chapter with an appeal to his readers, and he says, if you say you see, you better see the way this man sees, not the way the Pharisees see. You know, you're, you may be at any point on the journey, but my prayer is that you're absolutely not where the Pharisees are. Seeing all of the truth, seeing the incredible work of God, and denying it. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can set those things aside, that you can say, I know where I've been. I used to be blind, but today, today I see. Pray with me. Father, we need you. We need sight, heavenly sight. We need the ability to see you as you truly are. Father, we appeal to you, we beseech you, we beg. Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Father, would you reveal yourself to us? You love us so deeply. You care so much for us. You sent your son to die. He came declaring truth. He came demonstrating love. Father, may we cast ourselves wholly on you. We need that gift. We need you, Lord. We need you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. As we sing, I invite you to stand if you'd like. Stay seated if you want to. Come pray. Do business with God this morning because God wants you to know him today.
surrender my life. I mean all of you. I mean all of you. Where you love red, red, and my sins washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe.